Kia ora, I'm Emil Donovan, and today on The Detail... Uh, drivers had to pay $3.15 a litre at BP Great South Road in Auckland today. Three fifteen a litre. The price of petrol has hit a nominal all-time high in New Zealand, mirroring what's happening around the world. And while a certain section of people might think, ha, great, we need to get away from fossil fuels anyway, the reality is this hits poorer people the hardest. Petrol thefts are on the rise as more motorists struggle with pain at the pump. The thing is, petrol is a global commodity. The price of it can be affected by local policies, taxes and profit margins and so on, but it also ebbs and flows with the tides of the world economy. Fuel's been going upwards. In the last year, oil's gone up 69%, but since December, it's gone up 38%. What we're seeing now is, for instance, the impact of COVID and that recovery of many countries. So it will come we'll down. we also see the impact of the Ukraine crisis. Uh, no, no, not necessarily, Ryan, not with Ukraine. So today on the podcast, why is petrol so expensive right now? What goes into the price of petrol? What are we actually paying for? And should we brace ourselves for more increases over the coming months? Off to go and put some petrol in my car. I'm going to go to the closest uh, self-serve one, which I think has the cheapest petrol in my kind of part of Greyland, Newton and Auckland. So let's go and see. Infometrics Senior Economist Brad Olson. Kia ora. Kia ora. Is petrol historically expensive at the moment? Like, how, how does it compare to other price shocks, I guess, in the past? At the moment, uh, certainly, you know, on an unadjusted basis, this is the highest prices we've seen. Uh, the price of 91 is now over $3 a litre. People won't have seen that before outside of, you know, the likes of maybe Waiheke Island or, or the Chathams or similar. But, I mean, this is high. Uh, it, you know, if we go back and, and, and look at it before sort of 2021, uh, your la- the highest price you were looking at was about $2.50 a litre. So we've well eclipsed that now, uh, and it is holding at that incredibly uh, high position. That really is starting to bite into motorists because we use it so much, uh, you know, to move around. But also importantly, that the price of fuel dictates the price of all the other goods. So we really are seeing a much larger effect as fuel costs continue to increase. What do you mean by that? The price of fuel affects the price of of all other goods? If you want to move some fruit and vegetables from the farm into your supermarket, you're going to have to put that often in a big truck. So we're moving that, you know, and and, and so all of the transport costs there mean that moving any other goods and services, your electronics, your furniture, your couch, all of that is partially driven by the cost of fuel at the end of the day. And so as it goes up, it's not only the price of the pump that rises, but it's all the other prices for every other good that generally increase as well. All right, so um, petrol is historically expensive at the moment. The million-dollar question, I guess, is why? Well, at the moment, we're seeing huge uh, geopolitical tensions is essentially the big one. Of course, Russia invading Ukraine uh, has sent the global system into turmoil. We're banning all imports of Russian oil and gas and energy. That means Russian oil will no longer be acceptable at U.S. ports and the American people will deal another powerful blow to Putin's war machine. Even before then, though, we were seeing oil prices continue to rise mm. faster and faster uh, across the globe. And, and part of that was um, a bounce back in economic activity because, generally speaking, as the economy globally improves, oil prices go up because that demand is continuing to rise. Demand going up for oil means that you've got to find a bit more of it. And until we find such a way to turn the tap on immediately for fuel, that increase in economic demand globally is generally pushing 
pushing up the price. I see, I see. So so is the situation sort of that you know COVID hits, economic activity drops off a cliff. That means that demand for petrol, among other types of energy, also drops and the supply therefore follows it. And and that's the explanation, is it, for why petrol in particularly in the first lockdown in New Zealand was so cheap. Absolutely. At the start of the pandemic, because economic activity fell off a cliff, what we actually saw at one point in the very early stages was that people had bought fuel and now wanted to sell it at a loss because some people went, look, I've bought a whole bunch of fuel I've got nowhere to store it. I've got no one that'll buy it off me. I don't know where I'm going to put, you know, all of this black liquid. And so you you had prices just absolutely tank and, and plunge and hold at that lower level because everyone went, well, there isn't enough demand for fuel. And if there's not enough demand for fuel, then I'm not going to produce all that much. There wasn't a lot of air travel going around. People weren't driving as much because they were in lockdown. And then again, as you started to see the economy uh, wake back up again, you saw that demand for for fuel and and for moving around increase, uh, but you can't just turn supply on quite as easily. And so there was a, a ramping up of of supply, but at the same time that demand continued to run faster. And and so that's where you've seen that that mismatch where there is more fuel that people want than fuel available, and that is pushing uh, what has pushed up the prices. You then come through to the Russian invasion of Ukraine, and you've got a reduction in supply effectively because everyone says, look, I'm not t- touching anything from Russia with the barge pole, uh, but there's still demand for moving around, less supply available. That means that if I want that barrel of oil, I'm going to have to pay more for it than, than the other bloke. And that is, again, continuing to push up prices quite a bit higher. We'll talk a bit about the Russia-Ukraine stuff a bit later on, but um, I wanted to ask you this. In Sydney, you know, they're whinging about the price of petrol in Sydney as well, but they're paying like a dollar eighty-five a litre. In the USA, it's just at a, an historic high. This morning, gas prices soaring to the highest average ever recorded, $4.17 a gallon. Which figures out to be like a dollar a litre of petrol. Why is it three times the price here that it is in the US? Look, part of it's definitely going to be New Zealand scale. We're not the biggest country in the world, and therefore, uh, you know, we don't get the same sort of economies of scale that that can drive the price down. There's also the tyranny of distance. We're quite a far way away from from all the action, and so you sort of couple not having the largest population base with, uh, you know, being a fair distance away, and, and that means that we don't get the great prices you might otherwise see. But one of the big ones is just how much tax makes up of New Zealand's fuel price. If you look at, at a litre of 91 fuel at the moment, you're paying roughly 50% of that entire cost of, of, of a litre of fuel is going just into taxes. Um, and, and so what you often see in other parts of the world is that they're not charging some of the taxes that we charge directly on the fuel price. It might come through in your general tax or it might come through in, in another way. But what you are seeing there is, is a big reflection on uh, the ba- uh, you know half of uh, the entire base level, if you will, of the price of fuel is, is coming through directly in taxes. All right, so I've just pulled in and petrol regular 91 is three dollars and two cents a litre. Let's talk a bit about that then. So like three dollars for a litre of petrol in New Zealand at the moment. Break that down for me. How is that price figured out? So you mentioned that about half of that, so about a dollar fifty of that is taxes. Yes, so yeah, about a dollar fifty uh, is coming through in taxes. You, you've you've got a few of them um, rolling through there. You've got the fuel excise duty, uh, which is charged on every litre of, of fuel. And, and what that does is effectively goes back into the roading kitty. It goes through to uh, Waka Kotahi, 
uh, to spend on transport and similar. You've got the likes of the local authority fuel tax. If you're in Auckland, you've got the regional fuel tax. You've got GST. You've also, and and this has been a a key riser in recent times, you've got the emissions trading scheme as well, which I'll sort of count in that broader tax group. Uh, And that's risen, you know, now to be around about six odd percent of the total cost of fuel is just the emissions trading scheme. You go back about five, six years ago, and that wasn't even a thing at all. We weren't paying anything. So what it is doing is is capturing some of those wider costs, not only of uh, the here and now, but sort of 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 the future and the wider activity, right? Because we know that burning fuel creates emissions, and so that's what the, the ETS is trying to correct for that, or, or at least account for that that price. Uh, and the likes of the fuel excise duty and and, and a lot of the other uh, taxes there are paying for the roads uh, that that we're driving on. So there's definitely a reason behind it, but it is a large proportion, and I think it does probably skew what people see when they look at the price of fuel and think. Gosh, those, those fuel companies are just absolutely creaming it at three dollars uh, a litre. Whereas at least half of that goes immediately off into the treasury's bank account uh, for the government to spend. That's really interesting because it sort of suggests that, if I'm reading it right, that there is a sort of um, almost like a symbiotic relationship here, a possibly unhealthy symbiotic relationship, and that we rely on petrol to keep crucial transport infrastructure in good shape. The comparison, I guess, that springs to mind is being reliant on tax dollars from cigarettes to keep the health system functional. Absolutely. And and that's uh, by design at the moment, but something that New Zealand is going to have to adjust. It's what uh, we call a hypothecated tax. That money that comes in from fuel taxes uh, is ring-fenced. It doesn't get spent on anything else apart from the transport sector. It goes directly into a locked-off bank account that can only be used to, to pay for new new roads and, and transport bits and pieces. But what it also means is that over time, as you get more fuel-efficient cars, those who are often doing a, a better off in life, uh, you know, richer, they've got those more fuel-efficient cars. They're not having to use as much petrol, therefore they're not using, uh, they're not paying as much into the kitty, even though they might be driving just as much as someone with an old, uh, you know, clanger of a car that is using a lot of, of, of fuel. You then look at the likes of having uh, more electric vehicles on the road, and that's absolutely a, a great thing. But it does mean that when you've got a substantial number on the road, that there's no one paying for the road upkeep or for the other transport upkeep. So we are increasingly seeing in New Zealand a need to shift the conversation of how we fund our transport system with those differences in the types of cars we've got, because we've got some very, very old cars in the fleet and the shift towards the likes of uh, electric vehicles or hybrids, you're not seeing the same relationship between how much you drive and how much fuel you're using. And that does require a big shift in our thinking because we're going to have to find a different way to measure what people are doing when they're moving uh, across the country. And that's likely at some point to be something like a congestion charge or something uh, which looks at how much you're driving or where you're driving into and and therefore charging you on that basis. Well, yeah, because one take on this that I have heard, largely from a particular class of people, is, hey, petrol is expensive, this is great, stop stop driving your car, just buy an electric car or buy a bike or whatever, you know, suck it up and, and, and get with the times. Is that naive, do you think? Oh, absolutely naive. You, you go and find me a low-income low household across the country who's barely able to make ends meet as it is and tell them just suck it up and buy a, a brand new EV or even a second-hand one if you can get there. Yes, from an economic point of view, having more EVs 
uh, both makes a lot of sense for the country, but also for individuals. But you've got to actually have the cash to do it. And, and we just simply, people don't sim, uh, simply have that, that amount of money available to them to necessarily just upgrade into an EV. Uh, something like an EV uh, has a very high setup cost. You pay a lot for it at the start, mm-hmm. but you have lower running costs generally over time. But again, you, you talk to those low income households, they haven't got that opportunity to move up because they can't ever scrape together the amount of startup costs they need to get an EV. And that means that they're sort of having to go with the lower cost to start with option in which they'll pay more for petrol and similar over the lifetime of, of, of having that car. So look, it sounds great if we can move people there, but the fact of the matter is we can't at the moment. So I think that that's a, it's a very, uh, in a sense, elite view of the world that we should just magically have all these EVs. I think the last time I put petrol in my car, oh, it was maybe a week or so ago, and it was about $2.78 a litre over at another petrol station. So this is quite an increase. Here's the thing that confuses me. You've outlined that taxes make up, what, about half of the price that we pay at the pump. Taxes are static, aren't they? Like, they don't, they don't change day-to-day or week-to-week, yet the price of petrol does. What affects the week-to-week variations in the cost of petrol? Is that the cost of crude oil? Yeah, it, it majorly is driven by the cost of, of, of crude. And that's, again, something that little old New Zealand doesn't have a lot of influence over. We're, we're taking from the big global market um, and, and it dictates where things have gone, which is why, uh, you know, when, when you see those big shifts in oil prices overseas, there's generally a feeling that there's going to be a pretty quick increase at, at the pump. And that's why people, you know, do watch what's happening globally and, and quickly fill up perhaps before a, a big change comes through. Um, at the same time, we do have some of those taxes that adjust. The likes of GST, for example, is proportional to how much uh, the petrol cost is. And what we're also seeing is that the emissions trading scheme cost is continuing to increase over time um, as carbon prices rise. And, and that's been quite uh, significant uh, over time. If we look at the moment, uh, New Zealanders are spending around about 18 cents per litre on uh, the ETS charge, you go back to the end of 2019 and you're paying less than six cents a litre. So mm-hmm. so that one's definitely increased as well. That's not proportional. That's just where the price of carbon has gone. So there are a number of, of moving parts there. The one that people often want to focus on, though, is um, the, the margin that, that you know, businesses are, are charging and similar. And, and to be fair, that's... Um, relatively static. It got quite low or, or low in, in relative terms around the global financial crisis. And so often people look back to there and say, gosh, you know, the, the uh, margin is, is, is a bit high now. But over time, it's, it's been relatively uh, steady. Again, to break down those numbers, so at the moment, you've got roughly 50% uh, of the cost of uh, a litre of 91 is, is tax. Around about 39, 40% is the importer cost. So, so the cost of fuel, of, of crude oil, and similar overseas. And then there's around about 10% uh, roughly that, that is, is, is that additional margin uh, that you're seeing come through there. So um, really, you don't have a lot to play with there when you have those big increases in oil prices overseas. So what I'm kind of hearing, and correct me if I'm wrong here, is that when it comes to the cost of petrol, we don't really have that many levers to pull to change that. Yeah, absolutely. New Zealand is a price taker. And, and that's true of, of most goods and services um, that, that have to come from somewhere overseas. We, 
we don't uh, have all that much sort of uh, bargaining power there because we're not massive. And to be fair, almost no part of the world is massive that the entire market uh, dictates where things go. So, yeah, look, we don't have any influence on those uh, crude oil prices. Importantly, we also don't um, – or there's no easy way out of that, that tax conversation either because unless we're willing to accept less money going into the transport budget, we could well cut tax on petrol, but we'd need to make up for that uh, somewhere else. Why is there like intra-country disparity? Like why might petrol be cheaper in Palmerston North than it is in Auckland? Yeah, there's a, there's a whole range of factors there. And, and to be honest with you and absolutely blunt, most of the time is who knows. Uh, there are some drivers, though, and, and, and let's go through them. One of them is going to be uh, distance. We know that, you know, the further out you go into the the WAPs in, in some parts of the country off the beaten track towards sort of more coastal areas, uh, you will often find more expensive fuel, and that's because the transport costs are, are more expensive to get it there. You'll also find, of course, different competition in, in different markets. But at the same time, we've got quite a lot of variety in the, ter- in the ways we sell fuel. Some places, of course, are completely unmanned. You don't talk to anyone. You, you pull up your flashy card in front of a reader. Uh, you put the nozzle in, you fill up, and then you drive off. Mm-hmm. Of course, not a lot of additional uh, cost. To, to that, you don't sort of have to pay wages for many people. You don't have to pay, uh, you know, rental or electricity costs or similar for for a big building. If you do go to, to different petrol stations, of course, you might go inside and talk to a real person at the counter. You might have, um, you know, some some fridges with food and drink and what have you, and that often in, increases the cost. And, and some people want that. They want, you know, during a car journey, to be able to pull off and, and grab some some food and go to the bathroom. Uh, but there's certainly a murkiness within exactly how you get. To that final number. Well, what about discounts? You see petrol stations advertising big old discounts. I'm going to get a 10 cent a litre discount by the looks of it, so that brings it just under $3. How can they do that while still making money? Well, of course, what they're generally doing there is that they are cutting, likely cutting their own margins uh, there, but but trying to get more people uh, in the door. And again, you look at a lot of the different incentives you've got. Uh, a lot of them previously were based around the supermarkets, mm. and so you were seeing that sort of uh, focus there of getting more people into the supermarket and spending. The supermarket happy enough then to essentially provide that, that discount or subsidy through to the fuel company uh, for fuel because they were making you know enough money uh, with getting people in the when they ran a big, you know, 20, 30, sometimes 40 cent a litre discount. What I think you're also seeing in some areas, though, is um, almost that loyalty scheme element where it's not really a discount. It's that that is actually almost the base price. And if you're not signed up to the right scheme or you're not going to the right fuel plant, you almost... um, get penalised for that if you don't have, you know, the, the right card or the right app or the right code or whatever it might be. Um, and that's why, you know, almost everyone is always getting some sort of discount, even if it's the sort of four to, cents, uh, four to six cents a litre that you'll get when you go to almost any supermarket these days. Well, let's let's zoom out and look sort of big picture at, at the global kind of landscape. And we have to talk about Russia and, and geopolitics here. Fun times. Um, is this essentially as simple as Russia produces quite a lot of oil. A whole bunch of countries around the world don't want to touch any Russian commodities or or products at the moment. Therefore, the supply of oil that's being traded is smaller, and that means that what there is is more expensive. Is it that simple? That's that's certainly it in a nutshell. Uh, And and because you've got uh, Russia exporting around about 8.4% of the total uh, global oil in usual times, that is. And and now that stuff has, you know, gone from being black gold to being blacklisted. 
uh, if you will, because no one is willing to, to touch it. Importantly, you've also had Russia recently actually say, look, we're banning exports of, of this stuff as well. Vladimir Putin has banned the export of some of its own commodities, with experts saying tit-for-tat sanctions will lead to a significant spike in energy prices worldwide. So, you know, even if you wanted to buy it, you can't. Uh, you know, so there's some real tit-for-tat stuff going on. But what it is um, seeing is that you do have that reduced supply. At the same time, the other parts of the oil-producing world haven't been finding it as easy to lift their production. Uh, OPEC has been struggling to meet the commitments that they made um, around trying to lift just how much fuel they were adding to the international market. And there's a feeling as well that there could be more supply on the horizon if we can get some of the other geopolitical issues fixed up. Iran, for example, could provide around about, I think it's 1% of total current volumes of fuel. They're currently not allowed to, or not much of it is, is making its way to the global market because uh, they're in breach of the, the some of the previous sanctions and, and similar around the nuclear non-proliferation. And what you've got going forward is the potential to actually bring them back on stream. If you can get them into a new agreement, you can get the world powers happy. You could bring some more Iranian fuel on stream, but you really are struggling to um, make or match the reduction in, in Russian oil exports uh, with something else around the world. The one hope, if you will, or one major area is when you get fuel prices going to the level that they are now, it generally makes it more affordable for some of the large-scale shale oil uh, producers in North America to come online. Shale oil is oil extracted using fracking techniques. These tend to be much more expensive than normal oil wells. But you would likely see people going, okay, this is actually going to bring me in some cash now. I may as well start back up my refinery and my pump and we'll get going and bring some more fuel in. But again, the worry is is with such a massive reduction uh, in global oil, because 8.4% is a significant amount, Mm. at the same time as the world is already struggling to find energy resources, you go, this is sort of the perfect storm of really uh, putting the the, the screws on uh, energy prices globally. Brad, this is a very depressing conversation. Um, Are things going to get better? Are they going to get worse? Can we make even remotely accurate predictions? Look, to be fair, even the markets are finding it really difficult to grapple with uh, what's happening around the world at the moment because you've got the Russian economy in freefall. You've got huge volatility and fluctuations in the energy markets generally. Um, So, look, if it used to be a mugs game to try and forecast that it's gotten even worse at the moment. What does concern me is looking at the futures market for oil, so what people think they'll need be needing to pay for oil uh, in the future. They've got the the expectations for crude oil coming back to relatively normal levels within about six months. And I I find that one hard to believe. I don't think that we just sort of move past the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine anytime soon. And again, the disruptions we've already seen to the global economy and markets has been so uh, severe in such a short period of time that uh, I think there's a lot more water to go under the bridge yet. If I was uh, you know, bet- a betting man, I'd probably suggest that things are likely to get worse before they get better. In my mind, that $3 number unfortunately looks uh, set to stick around. Okay, so my car was sitting on two bars of petrol left. I've just put $50 in and it's filled it up halfway. Um, Usually 50 would probably get me definitely over half full. So that's quite a bit of money for not a lot of petrol. That's it for today. I'm Emile Donovan. The Detail is public interest journalism funded through New Zealand On Air and produced by Newsroom for RNZ. 
You can get us downloaded free to your mobile device every weekday from any podcast platform. And if you're using Apple, please leave us a rating so others can find us too. Today's episode was engineered by Adrian Holley and produced by Sarah Robson. And thanks to Brad Olson. Matewa. Curing for petrol. Curing for petrol. Curing for petrol. But I'm on a horse. I'm on a horse. I'm on a horse. I don't need petrol because he runs on carrots.